shot cap than the name that makes it happen No further introduction to the man that's worth tracking City's clapping for his relentless backing A vast against the former team that just went packing While they're slacking and other hosts are lacking He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling While he's racking the ones who keep on grappling The listeners some followers who get it keep on stacking Great friend and the type to set a trend Precedent to see where haters with the men there's no pretend 17 years, see along with Pierce, entertaining Southern Cali backed by popular demand. Intense for the listeners to resonate to the hottest topics of the day. Check the resume. While some local leaders seem to lack the unity, my man uses his voice to do what's best for the community. Westwood One, catch him on the sidelines, reporting live what we later see in highlights. No holds barred, just like on his timeline. Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines. Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria. Touching down, all around, connected like Expedia. Coming to your speakers live from the city, yo. Bestie, welcome to the Scott Kaplan Media. Start start with me from the beginning. Let me just let me just jump into you because I I am going to have a whole bunch of people that are going to say to me, okay, well, okay, I go to Mammoth or I've never been to Mammoth, mm-hmm. and you're talking to the president of Mammoth. What's what's the deal? And I want to start off with the character that that I've read about that you are mm-hmm. and and how you actually got here. Mm-hmm. And then I can't wait to hear a little bit more about what's going on out there. Cause you know, the other day, some guy told me that this is like an active volcano. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. No, not quite true. <laughs> we're, we're safe. <laughs> so we'll get there. Right. But you, you're Scottish as I understand mm-hmm. it, right? Can you just explain the story of how a guy from Scotland gets to mammoth California mm-hmm. and then after all these years elevates to become mm-hmm. president of this resort? And and by the way, I say resort. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe it's the company, or it's I don't even know what exactly Mammoth encompasses, frankly. So, so Mammoth at present is part of Altera Mountain Company, a new company brought together by our owners who are KSL Capital, uh, Henry Crown Holdings, a huge uh, privately owned company out of Chicago, and Rusty Gregory, our former CEO and chairman of Mammoth Resorts, is now an owner of that company. Okay, that's a gentleman you just mentioned yeah. who said, make sure this statue is pointing at yeah, you. Yeah, we're sitting at his desk right now, really? which is pretty phenomenal. That's cool. So, uh, And then Mammoth Resorts specifically uh, includes June Mountain, Mammoth Mountain, and Big Bear Mountain Resorts, which is Bear Mountain and Snow Summit yeah. down in Southern California. Which, I mean, we down in Southern California, you know, what I always love about living here, especially being from back east, is, um, you know, dipping your water in the ocean at one point of the day and, and literally being able to, to snowboard or ski up in Big Bear or here in Mammoth, really. Yeah. Um, I, I actually was really excited when Mammoth took over Big Bear and Snow mm-hmm. Summit because I actually thought those folks did a great job. You know, but it could only get better right. working with a bigger company. I was yeah. thinking, but but go back to you for one second, and then we'll we'll kind of keep. We're going right. to this is a free flow. This is the so. beauty of this versus radio is no commercials, <laughs> and you can speak however you want to. Right. Um, how does a kid from Scotland, who I'm reading about, comes from a family of goat herders? Goat herders. Is uh, this true? Sheep, sheep herders. She, what's the difference between a goat and a sheep? I don't even know. Yeah, uh, the goat are a wee bit more stubborn, but uh, <laughs> hard to manage goats. So yeah, I grew up in. Uh, in the north of Scotland, and I was fortunate enough to uh, have a grandfather who was one of seven brothers who was the only one who was allowed to marry in our family. Your so, grandfather was the only person allowed to marry? The rest of the, the men, he was the youngest one, but the rest of the brothers were always working on the farm, and uh, my granddad was the youngest and married my granny, and uh, 
Wait, wait. I just want to make sure I'm clear on this story. There's seven brothers. Yeah. And the oldest six are all to work. Yeah. But the youngest, who's your grandfather, yeah. he was allowed to marry and yeah. I guess procreate. Was, yeah. He figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did he do differently than the other six? He, uh, he, or seven. He was the youngest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at one point in his life, he had. Uh, extreme knee surgery so he actually had his knee his left leg the knee was fused so he spent a lot of time with his mother and he uh, he couldn't work he uh, didn't work he was young at the time but he was also um, a very stubborn character so when he set his mind on doing something he generally got it done so he managed to be the one guy that got married and uh, my granny and and um, him lived in a separate farmhouse to the rest of the the my great uncles, and they never none of them ever got married. The six of them, no, 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 not once. Wow. Um, give you an idea of this family because this is a pretty classic story. But my uh, the last surviving um, gentleman, my great uncle Ian. One day he was he died in two thousand and five. But one day I was sitting in the farmhouse with him, and he had this. Nice suit on, but he was complaining about the fact that his his boots were uh, needing resold. And I said, "Oh, they look like decent boots, you know, resoling them." And he's like, "No, no, this is terrible. You know, this is the second time I've had to resole them." And I said, "Oh, okay. Uh, when did you get the boots?" He goes, "Well, they're your uncle Leslie's." And I never really knew my great uncle Leslie, but my uh, great uncle Ian was wearing Uncle Leslie's uh, suit and boots that he got from uh, the Second World War when they demobilized in 1945. And oh, that my was goodness. My uh, great-uncle Ian was still wearing the suit. Jeez. And, uh, this was about two, year 2000, but got oh. buried in the suit in 2005. No way. So quite good uh, use out of that one suit. Um, I'm just doing the math. I mean, you got like 60 years out of that suit. <laughs> yeah, so they gave all the soldiers a suit and a pair of boots when they demobilized the armed forces in Britain in order to um, go on Civvy Street and interview for jobs and everything else. So, so, so your your granddad has these six brothers. Mm. They're all workers their whole lives. Yep. Granddad gets married, mm. and you say he's strong-minded and he puts his mind to something. He, he accomplishes things is the way I heard it. Yep. So then, again, this whole thing came back to how does, how does a kid from Scotland get to Mammoth? So what happens? Granddad marries grandma. Yeah, so my... My mum and dad uh, have me, and my mother's. It was my granddad uh, was my on my mother's side, so uh, she marries my dad. My dad's an electrician, and we live in a local village not too far from the farm. So my dad was an electrician too. Uh, uh, they know everything, right? <laughs> my father, if he has a pair of pliers and a screwdriver, He's happy. can fix anything <laughs> on the planet. Okay, no bullshit. That's I'm perfect. serious. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I used to go from. Uh, where we lived to the farm all the time growing up. And then the other thing that was very fortunate was that we had a, there's five ski areas in Scotland and there's pretty decent skiing when it does snow. They're um, mainly uh, T bars and surface lifts. So one of them does have a funicular railway and a gondola, but my village was at the base of this uh, ski area that had 2,200 vertical feet and, um, good acreage so I used to be able to go skiing at the weekends occasionally with our uh, local school class and then as I grew older I beca- I started teaching skiing when I was 15 or 16 
and uh, as as well as you know going to the farm. So all these things start tying up. And when I was so you're herding sheep as a kid. Mm-hmm. You're but you're skiing. You, just, skiing becomes the passion. Yeah. Sheep herding is what the family business is. Uh, yeah, I was very passionate about farming as well, though, and very much into being outdoors, working with Mother Nature, not trying to do too much battle with her because there can only be one winner. And all the, <clears throat> excuse me, all the other aspects of it, like uh, border collies, training sheepdogs, and those those uh, things that go into farming. Um, also, we had so we had about two and a half thousand sheep and 150 head of cattle, so quite a big farm. Yeah. And really uh, managing it, working with the weather and the flakes of the seasons was most interesting. So when I was 15, I was teaching skiing one day, and uh, it was around about the time when there's a famous ski film came out, uh, the Blizzard of Oz that you might have heard of with Glenn Plake, our uh, one of Mammoth's ambassadors now, the guy with the big mohawk. Yeah, I know who that guy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so prolific uh, skier, and that film came out, and I was so passionate about skiing. I watched that film every single day of the winter, and I could quote it backwards and forwards. With all, they had some really unique sayings in there. And one day I was teaching skiing, and it was pouring rain, uh, as it does a lot in Scotland. And I was working with another uh, another ski school, and I met this guy called Finley Torrance, and he was a few years older than me. And we're standing, waiting for our lessons to get cancelled. And I said to to Finley, I, have you watched this film, The Blizzard of Oz? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's amazing. I've uh, watched that so many times. And I said, oh, great. Lessons got cancelled. And Finley and I went skiing moguls for the rest of the day in the rain and became lifelong friends. And uh, a, a few years later, maybe six or seven years, in 1991, Finley went to New Zealand to ski and sent me this postcard. At this time, I'd finished with uh, college and I was working on the farm full time. And he sent me this postcard saying, you should come to New Zealand. I just met Glenn Plake. This place is rad. No way. So so <laughs> the guy that you guys had grown up, you're 15 years old. Idolize the movie him. comes out. You <laughs> idolize this guy with the crazy mohawk that everybody yeah. has seen, right? And he sends you the postcard you see, I love stories like these because um, have you ever read a book called Outliers? Yeah. Okay. So I see. Oh, I see you have. Gladwell, yeah. yeah. I see you have a book sitting here on your on your desk. Yeah. And I, I I'm not unfamiliar with the book. I'll be curious to ask you about it. Have you started it or no? Just a little bit of the book is uh, Principles by Ray Dalio, who um, was is one of the top 100 businessmen in the world, but really figured out how to come through the last economic crisis unscathed. And this book's about. Uh, life-work balance, how to uh, get the best out of people and recognize the team strengths and how to pull that. So you can see I'm going in a million different directions, which is, again, the beauty of this versus radio. So, okay, so you you have your friend. I mean, this is when I ask about outliers, it's because every story, every story that you have about about getting to here, about getting to Mammoth, can be traced back somehow, right? Yeah. And so... So you you are a 15-year-old kid. You see the Blizzard of Oz. Mm-hmm. You see this plate guy with the crazy mohawk. Mm-hmm. You meet a friend. Hey, you into this movie? Yes, I am. We go ski. And then about six years later, after college, 21 years old, he's in New Zealand. He meets the guy. Mm-hmm. He says, get over here. Yep. What do you do? 
Oh, it only gets better from here. So the following year, so I work a whole year on the farm and my uh, my family definitely are very uh, epitomized the north of Scotland. They're quite frugal. So I work for about a year, no pay, get a pair of gumboots along the way and a pair of coveralls or whatever. No pay. No pay. Uh, work for food and uh, enjoy. Uh, you, you know, I always think... Um, Dave McCoy, our founder here at Mammoth, always uh, used to say to me, you get to work. So, you know, you always think about work being a, a privilege rather than, uh, you know, definitely it's a necessity for people. But I find that, you know, I'm very privileged to work where I where I have done and where I am now. But uh, I said, so 1992 rolls in and it's uh, April or May. And uh, I say to my granddad, Okay, I'm I'm going to take over this farm one day, and um, one of the things that I should be able to do better is, you know, shear our sheep better. So I think I should go to New Zealand for the summer and oh go God. and learn how to shear sheep better. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, really? Said, yeah, I think it'd be a great use of my time, and uh, I'll bring back some great skills, and you guys will uh, you guys will benefit." Shear sheep. So. Uh, he goes, I th- are you going to take your skis with you? I said, yeah, probably take some ski equipment as well, just in case, right? So my granddad buys my plane ticket and my great-uncle Ian, there's only the two of them left at this stage, my great-uncle Ian gives me a, a brown envelope with a couple of hundred pounds in it. And he goes, that'll buy you a dinner. And I get on the plane and I fly to San Francisco and meet Finley in San Francisco. And we travel to New Zealand together and I get a job as a ski instructor on this um, volcano, which actually did erupt while I was there, um, in the North Island, and become a ski instructor for the season. And true to my word, I meet some farming gentleman called uh, Lawrence Cheatham, and I go and work on his farm, and I learn to shear sheep better. And uh, off we go, and uh, I keep doing this for a number of years. And Wait, I just want to make sure I understand something. You, you leave Scotland mm-hmm. to go to New Zealand, and in doing so, you had been working for a couple of years at this point, post-college, mm-hmm. for zero money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's just the way you do business on your family farm. But how does how does somebody in your position, as you say to your grandfather, I'm eventually going to run this farm, is that when you come into... Some finances? Yeah. Yeah, you manage the... And I guess as... It never came to fruition, so I don't really know the outcome. But I guess <laughs> as you... Uh, get married along the way and you uh, have needs you start to get your your salary or your weekly paycheck but you know I was so until you were married years old i'm just like working until married and kids you don't need any money you're you're you're, (laughs) you are here we got you okay so um you convince granddad who Mm -hmm. clearly sees through the whole new zealand this is a guy who um hardcore farmer but when it snowed on our farm, we would get our four-wheel drive tractors out and he would tow me up to the top of hills on my skis so I could ski down in amongst our sheep and the heather and everything else on the farm. So he was into it. Wow. So you go to New Zealand. You say this is a couple of years. I did back-to-back winters between New Zealand and um, Europe, Scotland, and eventually Mammoth from the years 1992 till 2002. I did two winters a year. So, okay, here we are in your office right now. You are the COO and president of Mammoth. Mm-hmm. 
This is a guy from Scotland who in 1991 made $0 mm-hmm. and was living on the family farm and convinced his granddad to let him go to New Zealand to learn how to shear sheep. Right. You're the you're the president of Mammoth now. Yeah. So so how did you ever find Mammoth? I mean, we're we're 30 years past how how you right. got here. But how did you get here originally? So 1997, uh, June of 1997, my uh, future wife, who was then my girlfriend, Carrie, we were uh, on our way to New Zealand for a winter, and we came through Mammoth because Finley, the guy I mentioned before, the Blizzard of Oz guy was living in Mammoth, and he was a ski school manager here. So we came here, and uh, Mammoth, you know, exceptionally long season. Most pe- most people don't know how great the skiing is in May and June at Mammoth. It's absolutely as good as powder. It's a very corny-type snow. And came through here in June and tried to bag a lift ticket to go skiing. And um, mountain biking was going as well, and chair Chair 3 was exceptional, got a lift ticket off a guy called John Armstrong, who was the director of ski school and uh, our race department. We have a long history of putting on great races here. And this John Armstrong character said to me, um, how was the skiing when I came back down from from Chair 3? And I said, great. And he goes, you know, we've got a World Cup here in uh, December, and you should probably uh, come and work for us as a race department worker. So I uh, went to New Zealand and then made the difficult decision then. I was like, yeah, that mammoth place has got some sort of affinity to uh, my emotional state. So rather than going back to the farm that uh, northern hemisphere winter, I uh, called up my granddad and said, you know, I'm going to give this uh, American thing a little bit of a whirl. And he was... Uh, very supportive said yeah you should uh, spend a few months there see what see what happens so you found i don't mean to sound corny here you found something religious yeah and uh, very uh, emotional connection to a lot of people have it right we uh we have this uh, employee recognition program at mammoth that's called our black diamond service awards and they happen once a month and it's a a variety, of, and we have a very complicated business here. We've got hospitality, food and beverage, grooming, snowmaking, ski patrol. Um, How many people work here? Uh, at Mammoth, 2,600 people during Jeez. the winter. Wow, 2,600. How about during the summer? Uh, it goes down to about 500 year-round people and then a couple of hundred other seasonal people with wow. our mountain bike business and scenic gondola tours, etc. 2,600 people is a lot of people, man. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of people. But How many guests do you think you get? I mean, you must know this. I'm sure there's a round number, right? The average uh, visit- visitation for Mammoth in a in an average winter is about 1.3 million ski wow. visits. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. So you, you get here in 97. Mm-hmm. By the way, you see, you've got me fascinated by this story. I keep coming back. I want to get to today. You come back here in 97. You tell Grandpa, hey, I want to give this American thing a try. He encourages you. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm curious. Um, the, the gentleman, Pike. Blake. You, no, no. Not, not, okay, Plate was the Mohawk guy. Yeah. But the, the gentleman that was kind of the friend of yours that had gotten you to New Zealand and then got you here to Mammoth. Uh, Finley. Finley. Yeah. What, I got to know right now. What, what has become of Finley? You guys must be like brothers. <laughs> He's been in a huge influence in your life. He's uh, he's a great guy and uh, very passionate about the outdoors and everything. 
everything that goes on here and he's now one of our senior managers in the company he uh, ran our ski schools for many years along with another guy called Craig Albright and uh, a lady called Sandy Rowan but Finley now heads up all of our uh, base operations facilities he works with our host department um, snowmobile adventures tubing park and uh, so, so one the, of our mountain managers so these two kids yeah 32 years ago crazy in Scotland mm-hmm. watch a movie Watch a movie, and yeah. here you guys are, thirty-two years later in yeah. Mammoth, and still get to go skiing with Glenn Plake on the, the occasional basis. Yeah, he comes up here, huh? <laughs> oh, he he lives here most of the. Winter. Oh, really? Yeah, he's one of our uh, one of our uh, athletes that we have in our program. Yeah, you called I, him an ambassador. Earlier. Yeah, he's a, he's an amazing individual. God, that's amazing about this Finley guy. I I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't wait to hear what happened uh, to you guys. So. So when you got here in 97, somebody said, hey, there's a, a race here. You should work it. You said, okay. You, you get here, and then do you not ever leave? No, I, uh, I was a seasonal worker, and I, the first season was whenever it was 97, 98. It was an El Nino year, so absolutely uh, fire hose snow in the eastern Sierra and mainly at Mammoth, and it was a very challenging year. I uh, learned learned a lot of things that I hadn't done previously in the ski industry, like driving cats and how snowmaking works. And By the way, real quick, I, I got to interrupt because I'm sorry, but my daughter asked me this question yesterday and I said, I can't wait to ask you, how do moguls get made? Is that made by the machines that just go over those? You, you can fabricate a mogul field with a grooming machine, but generally what you see all over the country is just... Uh, steeper runs, more narrow, and people skiing or snowboarding that area and edge setting, which moves the snow into those pillars. So that that just happens. Yeah, that's just, and then eventually, because people go down the same run, they're following the same line, mm-hmm. and then those edge sets create bigger and bigger moguls. Wow. Yeah. So 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 the El Nino year happens. You said in the late nineties. Yeah. You said snow here is crazy. I'd never seen anything like it, and all the way through that um, that season. I, I couldn't believe how the culture of Mammoth was always about uh, being able to say yes without ever considering or exhausting all possibilities of saying no. And Where's that come from? That comes from Dave McCoy and the type of people that this place attracts. And you know, it's a very uh, harsh environment sometimes. And if you uh, don't start, you'll never finish. And you've got to have that mindset to get after it. Over the years, what I've learned here, and I was talking about the Black Diamond Awards, you know, the people that are attracted here are unique uh, human beings that, you know, they come for the passion of the place and how big the the mountain is. And I'm one of them. I came here because skiing was exceptional, as we all know. It's world-class, great snow. And and then that attitude of always wanting to say yes is, is a huge aspect. But what you really find out, find out after living here for most of your life is that the real culture of mammoth is the the people that are here have a real willingness to invest in others and by investing in others and getting the best out of the people around you it makes your own life's quality of a high level and that's definitely the mammoth way yeah that's cool that's really interesting you know i i'm uh in business i always feel like there's a road to yes you know, I, I I hear no, I hear no, I hear no, but I always feel like there's got to be a way to get to yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious. I mean, Dave, you say 
instilled that culture in Mammoth. Um, all these years later, how many years would you say it is? I mean, is it 30, 50, however many oh, years it is? It's over 60 years. Okay. Yeah. 60 years later. Over, yeah, almost 70. He, he had the foresight mm-hmm. to have that philosophy. You guys, like you said, get the privilege mm-hmm. to work that philosophy, if you will. Um, are there great challenges frequently in trying to say yes to everything? Yeah, I mean, take last year, for instance, where it snowed 245.5 inches in the month of January. Wow. So if you think think about it from a regular employee standpoint, you wake up in the morning and you're coming to work to put on the best service that you can to have the people. You know, we like to think of our guests as our friends. So you, uh, you want to get to work to supply the great experience that people are coming here for but you have to shovel through five feet of snow to get your car out of your house. Then you have to shovel your car. Then you have to drive up the road. Then you have to shovel out the ski area in order to be able to turn the lifts on. And so just on a daily basis, there's always steps along the way that some of these things would be easier to say, oh, I'm just going to leave that till tomorrow. And and it happens in a variety of areas on the whole mountain. You know, our ski patrol or are out there at four in the morning, uh, mitigating the the avalanche risk so that we can get the place open. And that 245 inches of snow, we uh, never had a day where we didn't turn a lift on, which is, a, I mean, that's an exceptional achievement yeah. for, for a ski area where you're getting buried on a nightly basis. You think of yourself or do you think of Mammoth and maybe even in your own role as president and COO of the company? Or, I'm hearing... But you guys are in the hospitality business. Do you think of it that way, or because uh, because service is so important, right? You know, I mean, you, you go to a place, and if you have bad service, it can turn you off as a customer. Um, and I know I have a friend, for example, that owns a world class hotel in Rancho Santa Fe, San Diego. It's called the Rancho Valencia. And when they bought it, it was an old place, and they facelifted it. And but but more than facelifting it. These are folks that had traveled around the world. They'd been to great resorts. They were wealthy people. They knew what they wanted, and they knew how they wanted to be treated, and they knew how they wanted their guests to be treated. Mm-hmm. And they've instilled a culture, you know. And I just I'm hearing hospitality. Yeah, uh, hospitality is one way to look at it. But personally, the way I look at it is, is that you know there's a lot of um, ski areas in the world, and they all have the same white snow, green trees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the culture of mammoth set by Dave McCoy and then really uh, built upon by Rusty Gregory, that, that culture started uh, with rope toes to the south of us where Dave would turn on a rope toes so that his friends could have fun. And eventually more and more people came and they're like, oh, I have to employ some people to look after all of my friends. So he started charging a little bit and... Uh, to pay the bills and eventually built mammoth obviously but we still have that same feeling you know we're inviting people into our home and compared to other areas in the world we would hope that we uh, engage with the people that love mammoth whether they're here for a day or they're here as a, a community member living here for their life we really want them to have an exceptional time and we want them to feel like they own the place is it hard to do that um, not not for the from from you and your staff to the to the customers, but from you to those above you, 
we talked a little bit earlier about you know who actually owns Mammoth, mm-hmm. and it sounds like there's a lot of I don't even know if they're hedge funds, but they, they, mm-hmm. what, what, who are the? I mean, you mentioned one individual, Rusty Gregory. Yeah. So Rusty's lived in Mammoth all of his life, and he's an owner uh, of the new company, KSL, our uh, uh, private equity company out of Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Resnick is the principal there, and he's a exceptional skier and loves the industry. So what, what else does KSL do? It sounds familiar. They uh, they have a variety of, of businesses, but um, they own, previously they owned Squaw Valley um, up to the north of us, and then they own hotels and golf courses. They have yeah. Gol- Cameron House as a golf course on the banks of Loch Lomond, Scotland. Mm-hmm. They, are, they have um, that interest. So they're in, in that business as well. But so they give you – do they give you – the the uh, the the auto- autonomy, if you will, to to run this place the way it it the way it was set up to be run. Yeah, yeah no, one hundred percent. It's absolutely uh, phenomenal being a part of the Altera Mountain Company. I think if you you know if you compare us to other groups of resorts that have been brought together around the world, you'll see that the values that Altera Mountain Company have been built upon are the individualities of each one of the resorts in the group. And that's very important to the company that you don't have a a sterile experience across the portfolio of resorts. Each one's recognized for their strengths and how those resorts allow their guests to um, discover the best versions of themselves at those particular mountains. Now that KSL is coming back to me a little bit, does or did KSL own um, in Vancouver, in Whistler? Um, what was the name of that? I'm, it just, yeah, I've been yeah, there, yeah. and I remember meeting some folks. And KSL, do they or do they own that? Uh, previously, yes. they did. Yeah, that's yeah. now a Vale Resort. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So, okay, back just just to finish the story because I'm loving it, and so many different doors are opening through this conversation as I knew they would. Um, so, okay, so how does a guy like yourself though elevate? from getting here in the late 90s and learning all these things about grooming and things about the, the ski industry and about the snow and the, the nature that perhaps you didn't know before, how, how does a guy finally get to this office, to this desk? So in, after working from 1997 until 2002 seasonally, uh, and most of that time was as our under-18 or under-21 ski race coach for a lot of our kids that are on our ski our ski and snowboard team in 2002 there was a job opening as the for the head coach of the mammoth ski team so i got that job in uh, april 2002 and i was fortunate enough at that time to coach a group of kids or young adults which um a couple of them uh stacy cook who's now a four-time olympian wow she was 15 or 16 back then um another guy called Johnny Teller, who is a local uh, mechanic with a family, now owns his own me- mechanic business, but he was a X-game gold medalist in skier cross. And, and then finally a, a kid called Eric Mann. And with those kids, and now they're all obviously young adults, but um, they were super passionate, very talented group of kids. And remiss of me not to mention the entire team, but there was a whole group of kids that were so passionate that all we ever wanted to do was give them the best training environment in the world. And along with that, Eric Mann, uh, his father, 
there's a guy called Clifford Mann, who's our vice president of mountain operations. And Clifford, I won't give away his age or anything, but he, he uh, grew up here, started working here when he was 13 for Dave McCoy. Wow. And 50-odd uh, years later, he's still one of our uh, leaders in the company. But because of the relationship with his son, I uh, got to know Clifford exceptionally well during that time. And I would uh, go out with Clifford and groom the hills or learn about snow removal in the off times between 4 p.m. and 5 a.m. and figure out how the place worked, help make our snow for the race runs, whatever else. So I really got my education through him and many others. And I had a passion to learn that stuff as well. And so I kept coaching those uh, kids through uh, 2006. They went to college and Stacy went off to the U.S. ski team. And around 2006, Rusty um, Gregory started giving me more pieces of the, the mammoth pie. And, uh, and along with that, mentored me throughout those years with giving me different parts of the operation, which really gave me, you know, if I look back now, he was, uh, I didn't, I thought it was lucky, but he definitely had a plan. And that plan involved me discovering my um, bandwidth and capacity for um, being in business and not just in operations and running different pieces of the, the company. I'm really fascinated by what you just said because, um, you know, anybody who's listened to this has heard a guy go from Scotland and making no money to now being the president of a multi, multi, multi-million dollar business. Mm -hmm. And the education, you, you, you're talking about, you know, operations here and, you know, I'm hearing about grooming the snow and just all the little things that you had to know. I mean, it sounds like you know everything that's going on here because you've probably done it all before. Um, but how about becoming a businessman? How about becoming a guy that's got to crunch numbers or, or mm -hmm. examine spreadsheets or make tough decisions or deal with uncomfortable personnel situations? I mean, mm -hmm. what about the learning how to become a business leader? That really... Um that exists in Mammoth throughout all of our, our company, right through the supervisory or management and department head level. We're very, um, and this, this is one of the things that Rusty really instilled in the company um, maybe 20, 30 years ago was the accountability. So we talked about our guests. Um, we're talking about finance now. We're somewhat about employees. So we look at our businesses we have a service philosophy here. Who are our people? What do they want? How do we give it to them with um, perfect implementation? And then obviously adjust to reality along the way there. But but our um, we also focus on guests, employees, and financial stakeholders through our uh, metaphors, a three-legged stool. So each one of those guests, employees, and financial stakeholders are a leg of the stool. And we really... Uh, put the accountability on the company at a department head level to discover how to balance those three legs of the stool. So the financial training in Mammoth as a ski resort is unbelievable. You uh, you run your own budgets, you run your own capital uh, processes, you really have the keys to the kingdom to figure out how what your guests want through our service philosophy. And then if you've got a good idea and you know how to uh, articulate it, 
we're always going to listen and then you own the whole process so there is a great educational uh, system here within the company but more importantly the the culture is one of entrepreneurial spirit like dave building the mountain out of the hard rock of the eastern sierra and how did he get the the land he uh, applied for the forest service permit and uh, people thought that uh, there was too much snow here for a ski area so i guess he lucked out <laughs> you're kidding me no uh, i'd take you to clifford's office after this you can see the original permit that was hand drawn with the original uh, lifts on the front side here when did you get this gig though um to become president i uh on the first of august uh, last year and the job that you had prior to that was i was the chief operating officer okay, so they, they put the two together essentially yeah. uh, really what happened in the new company is we have a shared service uh, model uh, out of the corporate entity uh, in uh, Denver and then every resort in, now has a president and COO gotcha. in the new company. So um, the conditions out here, I, I've skied the last two days, I find them to be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Now, I've only been here twice and last year was something I'd never seen before. <laughs> you mentioned the 245 plus inches of snow last year. In one month. In one month, in January. 616 inches total. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> so so what are the challenges when you mentioned, you know, not battling Mother Nature earlier? What, what are the challenges when you have that crazy amount of snow mm-hmm. versus now when you don't have that crazy amount of snow? Right. I mean, what is the business challenge between what Mother Nature gave you as a gift versus what you have to make on your own? Uh, it's really um, never taking anything for granted is the, is the first mode of thinking. And last year, obviously, the challenge was digging out on a daily basis and making sure that the with that volume of snow that our slopes were safe for our, uh, our people to enjoy. This year, and we start every single year thinking that it may not snow. That's how we roll into it. Got to, right? And um, the challenges this year... It's really been uh, how to link all of our lodges and get them open on time for the different uh, homeowners or uh, hospitality segments you know, east to west of the mountain. So really um, figuring out how to make the most use of temperature, so snow making, and being ready for action when there are those temperatures as the is the primary uh, challenge in producing what you see outside. Does it start, does, does, do you guys have a date that you say, okay, on this date, we start producing snow, whether we've got real snow or we don't, we have to start covering the mountain for our, our future guests. Does that happen? Is, yeah. it, is there a, a start date? Yeah, it's the, the third week of October. Third week of October. So we start, um, the strategy is always to open main lodge first. As I was saying before, you know, Dave McCoy being very smart, we're uh, sitting here at 9,000 feet. Mm-hmm. So, and I can feel it, by the way. I walk up three stairs and I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, it's good for you. <laughs> and um, we start at uh, 9,000 feet at Main Lodge, and the slopes are all north-facing. And then the other real critical item for producing the great surface here is that where we're sitting geographically, the air is very dry, and even though the temperatures may be warm, we have a uh, great ability to produce good quality snowmaking. So we open the main lodge, and then as we go, it's like an expanding triangle. We always try to get to the top of the mountain and then head east and west with our snowmaking with the the goal of uh, 
opening Canyon Lodge and Eagle Lodge by uh, the middle of December. And you say that, you said this earlier, because I was going to, this is one of the things I wanted to ask is how, what's the latest you've ever had skiing, snowboarding here? The end of August, but yet even last year we, last year we skied till the 6th of August. We were open for general public. We we're also uh, an official training center for the U.S. ski and snowboarding uh, teams. So this went so on until August last year. August 6th. And then... What were the temperatures? It was 50, 60 degrees. There oh were some God. really warm days thrown in there, but it was it was pretty warm. How does that impact the snow? Uh, you know, we change our operating hours so that we open earlier and we close earlier. Oh, yeah. And that really... Uh, Get you, and like I said, with the north um, aspect of the mountain, the snow is actually really good. You mentioned the uh, U.S. Olympic team, mm-hmm. and and just a week ago, yeah. um, I had some friends that were up here, and they said you had to see what was going on here. It was insanity, and just you know, thousands and thousands of people, and just a really great show. Um, so U.S. Olympic team members mm-hmm. made the U.S. Olympic team here in Mammoth. Just a week ago, is that right? Yeah, a week ago on Saturday, we uh, had the the ski and snowboard team uh, naming for the U.S. Olympic team for uh, all aspects and uh, the freestyle ski uh, team as well as the snowboard team. Uh, we had a large number of mammoth af- athletes actually make that team, so we're super proud of all of them. We have uh, Stacy Cook, who I mentioned before, Maddie Mastro, and uh, Chloe Kim and Kelly Clark. And then uh, Sean White is also a mammoth team rider. So they all qualified for uh, Pyeongchang. So we're excited for that. The event itself was probably the best event ever at Mammoth. We had a nighttime event. The half pipe outside the window here was uh, floodlit top to bottom. And it's such a spectacle. You see it on TV and it definitely does it justice. But when you're standing 22 feet off the bottom of that half pipe, and uh, Chloe Kim is out of the half pipe, 22 feet in the air, traveling about 40 miles an hour downhill and covers about a, you know, 70, 70 to 100 feet of uh, ground and is spinning at the same time. It's absolutely phenomenal. Those, uh, those guys are uh, incredible athletes. Yeah. Oh, man. And I, to hear you say maybe the best event ever leads me to think, um, does, does a place like Mammoth, do you uh, try to go and get the X Games or things like that. I mean, I know Aspen's kind of a cool, hip, happening place, and um, it's got, there's challenges getting to Aspen as well. I know, you know, here people, you know, there's more flights it seems mm-hmm. that you can fly up here more right. frequently. I like to drive myself, but yeah. um, do, does do you have ambitions of one day hosting big events like that? Yeah, I think you know the X Games is a great event, and Aspen do a phenomenal job with that. We're definitely always looking at all of our resorts, uh, Snow Summit, Bear Mountain, and and Mammoth in June, to really pick the events that we think our our uh, guests love the most. And you've got to come back for our uh, Night of Lights event that we host at Canyon Lodge, which is an annual family event um, going into Christmas which is a phenomenal choreographed. We have snow cats at night with lights on. We have the ski and snowboard team kids, snowmobiles going everywhere. And it's a, a festival of light uh, culminating with one of the most impressive firework shows you'll ever see at any mountain resort. So, you know, we really do try to go with uh, events that suit our brand and thrill our guests. And that's why we've really been involved with the Grand Prix because we uh, – 
we, as I was saying before, you know, yeah, you'll have to tell me what that is. What, best, the Grand Prix, the event that we had last year mm-hmm. or last weekend. Sorry. Oh, that's what they call it. Yeah, and um, that's we've been uh, partnered with USSA, the United States Ski and Snowboard Association, for many years, and the Olympic cycle and that um, the brand of the Olympics and naming the team is very important to how we uh, think about people coming here and becoming the best versions of themselves. I feel like as a guest that when I walk through the village, for example, down by Canyon Lodge, to see the Olympic flags is is really cool. Yeah. It just adds a whole different element. You know, you already feel like you're in a great ski village. And again, I had, last year was the first time I'd been up here and I was blown away. And now it's become an annual trip. And now I'm just trying to figure out how I can make more trips. Because, <laughs> you know, now all the kids want to buy their own skis and, right. and get their own stuff. Um and by the way, I've got like half and half skiers and boarders. What's Perfect. the ratio out here? What do you think it is? It's uh, probably around 60, 40 skiers to snowboarders. Oh, really? Maybe a little bit closer than that, you know, 57, 53. Let me ask you just a few more things. So I've sure. taken up a lot of your time. Um, as far as flying up here, someone had asked me the question, because I said to a few friends, I said, hey, if you've got some questions... Let me know. One of them was about the airport. Mm-hmm. And apparently, if it's hard to land here, I don't even know where you get diverted to. But somebody said, will you eventually work with the Bishop Airport, which I guess must not be far away. Right. Yeah, uh, We're actively engaged with the whole region, um, Bishop, Mammoth, to uh, figure out what the long-term solution is to um, make sure that we're supporting our strategy of ease of access for all of our guests and we're actively engaged with the all of the local community on that and the local community leaders and uh, stay tuned we're very excited with how much all of those uh, partners are willing to look at things differently and really make it a seamless arrival experience yeah that would be really nice yeah. i mean it'd be really nice um my daughter who's 15 who absolutely loves being here and snowboarding I said, do you have any questions? She said, I have one question, yep. and I love this question. It, it was actually made me proud that she asked it. <laughs> and and the, the kid who grew up on the farm who didn't get to make any money will probably right. love this question too. Dad, why is pizza so expensive? And I tried to explain to her, hey, listen, these guys, this is about, this is a business. Yep. And when you're up at a lodge, you know, um, up the mountain, you're that's where you are, and that's... I mean, that's the explanation I gave her. The the apple doesn't fall far far from the tree in your family. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely one of the the factors that we're always conscious of is value to price paid. We survey our guests all the time on that. We do, you know, we're a remote area for sure, as you've as you've alluded to, and there are expenses associated with uh, producing the the overall experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that we have tried to do in the in the past is obviously with our season pass early sale, you know, make that a real value for money That's concept. That's what we did, yeah. And the same thing with uh, the ability to um, purchase tickets in advance if you're not a season pass holder. But we really do try to um, make sure that we're cognizant of value to price paid. But it is it is. Uh, an expensive place to drive to and bring food, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, uh, but, you know, I, I thought it was kind of a cute thing to ask, yeah. you know. And so, 
You know, to wrap things up, I got to say thank you very, very much for mm-hmm. spending so much time with me here this morning because I was I was excited when I heard the story of, of how you grew up, where you were, how you got here. And by the way, nowhere near the great detail that you gave us today. <laughs> um, but I always find it interesting to talk to people about businesses, you know, and and what they do, how they do it, philosophy. I, one of the things, I, my favorite thing probably that I heard from you today is um, – you know, sometimes you have somebody that you work with, especially somebody who's running an operation, who just ideas are only good if they're theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it sounds to me like everybody here is is able to create concepts and sell them within and everybody's opinion has value. It just really sounds like a great place to work. Yeah, uh, we, th- we think so. We, uh, we have great um, response from all of our employees in our um, annual or, or- Actually, we survey our employees every twice a year, and we have very uh, good scores from our employees on what type of place it is. Uh, we really try to have that coaching mentality, and that's from Dave through Rusty and now m- myself of really trying to get the best out of each other. And I think that's the most key part for our guests to enjoy themselves, for our financial stakeholders to get rewarded, and for our employees to have a great work environment. Those guys groomed you. Are you? Uh, <laughs> you got some. You got some. Some guys out there, or some girls that you're that you're grooming. Yeah, twenty six hundred of them. <laughs> Which one's going to become you, man? Uh, so it's all up for grabs. You know, the, yeah. the biggest honor is um, having people be ready to replace you. Yeah, really amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's a pleasure. <laughs> I've had fun. Thanks very much. Thank you. <laughs>